0: Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, open to Proverbs chapter 15. And help me uh, greet those, not only at every Fresh Life location, but at church online, yeah. listen on the archive. Yeah. Glad to have you. Though, of course, there's going to be wider application, I want to speak this week a word specifically to the fathers of the house. And, uh, and that, that's not just those of you who are dads currently, but who will be dads ultimately. Any of us who will ever have that role, that honor, of, uh, of being called Dad, um, I want to speak a word to you. And the title of this message is this. Listen, here, here's the message title. Where Love Is. Where Love Is. If I, if I have anything to say to you, Dad, is that your greatest desire from the Lord, the most important thing of your assignment, of, of serving in your assignment and role as Dad, would be before anything else that so far as it lies within you, that your home would be a place where love is, where love is. Come on, do you accept that? Come on, that's the heart. That should be our driving desire, our passion, filling our prayers, our effort, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, that we would fight for our homes to be a place where love is. Here's what uh, Solomon wrote. This is Proverbs chapter 15. In verse 15 through 17, he said all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred." Father, I just pray this simple little statement, this amazing little nugget we have just unearthed in your word would speak something to our hearts. I pray there would just be a spirit of positivity with which we approach this, that we wouldn't be discouraged because of how we're not living up to what you call of us, but that we would be inspired to receive the strength and to follow in your footsteps as we live out what you desire for us. And you desire for those who come into contact with us, and especially for us dads, those who live in our homes, that we would do the best we can, powered by your spirit, to serve in such a way where these things would be obvious and explicit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone who believes said, amen. Amen. It's been said that the greatest tragedy in life is to win at the wrong things. To win at the wrong things. And here in this text, we find advice that is applicable, not just to, but certainly to the subject of parenting and to being a father, which is a weighty thing if there ever was one. The best way, if you're not a dad, for me to describe to you what it feels like to be a dad is oh crap (laughs) oh crap i remember i'll never forget holding my daughter my firstborn daughter in my arms that first day that i became a dad i mean i've obviously i've been becoming a dad gradually as my wife's stomach began to expand but but there's nothing like i mean here in the ultrasound that's powerful that's like weepy face but but, but man, when you, when you hold that little baby in your arms and you, knew you're, you know you're going home from the hospital with this little bundle of joy, it's a terrible, terrible thing that comes over you. Like this, like the car seat comes with a manual in four languages that's 80 pages long, right? But the, the, the kid, they don't come with any manual at all to speak of, all right? It's, it's just like, oh, crap. And uh, the day Olivia was born, she came out with her umbilical cord around her neck, and it was traumatic. They had, to, they had to cut that thing off of her. She came out black and blue in face, and blood hit the ceiling. I had no idea what, what I was in for. I, mean, I was just like, I was standing there. Right, there was a day when dad's job was to stand in the waiting room smoking a cigarette. You know what I'm saying? But like, now dads are in the, in the room like they probably shouldn't be, right? Like I knew it was all going downhill when my wife said we should take a birthing class, and I went to this class and they were showing video after video of, of uh, of people having babies. <laughs> Man, you can't unsee that stuff, right? I was like, I want to go home and pour bleach on my eyes. This, it was so scary. It was like, it was like, oh my, what are we in for? And and then you know that that whole like scare where they they, they whisked Olivia away to to kind of resuscitate her. And man, it was, it was like, a, it might have been 60 seconds. It might have been 120 seconds. It felt like 15 years while they were over there. And then finally, there had been no sound from Olivia. But then all of a sudden, this strong, defiant, stubborn cry came, came out from the corner where they were kind of, kind of doing whatever they were doing. And, and I was just so, so terrified. But then that, that scream of that little child, the first sound I'd ever heard my, my daughter make, Jenny and I both just began weeping and holding each other and thanking God. And, and then I, I, before Jenny, of course, because she was in the bed, and I got to go over. And she squeezed my finger and had a little oxygen mask on her. But I could see her beautiful red lips. And, and then I just began to feel, oh, crap. And I, I feeling never really gone away, actually. And, <laughs> and with this terrible responsibility, with so much that presses on us, so much that weighs on us, Dad, um, I, I think it is extraordinarily important for us to heed the advice of Solomon because of what a complicated, nuanced conversation being a parent is, being a dad is, being, even if you're a single father, especially perhaps if you're a single father, this idea of, 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 of being called daddy, that it would, be, it would be, behoove us to listen in with, with all diligence to what he's telling us here. Because what he's telling us here in these verses is, is, is what the things are that we should focus on winning at first. Lest we win at certain things that are the wrong things and we have no bandwidth left to win at what is actually the most important. And he, as I can read it, identifies two things that would be like the things to win at the fear of the Lord and love. The fear of the Lord and love. These should be the things that, before all else, that we should focus on winning at so far as being a dad is concerned. I guess it would be helpful for us to understand what these two things are, because he gives us some sense of how important they are when he tells us that the fear of the Lord is so important that that with it, it's cool if you have very little else. It, It would be better to have a little so far as possessions are concerned. But if you have the fear of the Lord, that's, that's much better. So, and similarly, loving people, he says, is so important that that even if you can't afford the finer things in life, it would be better to basically uh, be eating cup of noodles with love than to be able to afford surf and turf every night of the week. And that wouldn't even be healthy from a cholesterol standpoint. But. <laughs> But even if you could provide that for your family, it would be better if you had the cup of noodles if there was a healthy dose of love. So let's just drill down on these two things for a moment. What is the fear of the Lord? Best as I can figure out, it is a reverential awe that produces a life of worship. The fear of the Lord, a reverential awe that produces a life of worship. When you look at scripture, and from, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, the fear of the Lord is something that's obviously pretty important. Because let me just give you a little smattering. In Proverbs 1.7, it's the beginning of knowledge. Anybody want knowledge? Well, fear of the Lord is the beginning of it. Proverbs 9.10, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord will lead to a prolonging of days. Proverbs 14.26, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Not just a little confidence, strong confidence. Uh, Proverbs 14:27. the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. That's Hawaiian punch. It's a fountain that produces <laughs> life. Mr. D's reference, casually thrown in there for the dads. Proverbs 16, 6, by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. How do I live a life? How do I make sure my, my home, we de- we, I don't steer us in the wrong direction? Well, the fear of the Lord is going to cause you to depart from evil. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And that's just a smattering from the book of Proverbs. I could have taken you to Revelation. I could have taken you to Peter. I could have taken you to Ecclesiastes. Again, the fear of the Lord is again and again and again held up. But best as I can figure it, it is a reverential awe, meaning you really understand who God is. Because when you see who God, God is for who he really is, it causes you to really, really step back. It really causes you to bow low. It produces a humility. When you understand who God is, it causes your heart to be filled with Oh, Awe, It causes you just to realize, who, who am I? It's not like, well, he's got some explaining to do. It's like, man, I got some explaining to do. It's like, he's God. It causes you to feel very small and to understand that he's very large. But then, listen, it's turned up to 10 when you, when you realize what he's done for you. Being as big as he is, he could squish you like a bug. He, could, he, he doesn't have to tolerate us for all of our sins, all of our mistakes, all of our failures. He has chosen, even though we went astray, to come down and die for us and pay for our sins, and that he's patient with us, and he fills us with his spirit, and he doesn't get sick of us. He is ever for us, always setting his love on us. And when you realize that, when you see him as a father to the prodigal son, no matter your failure, no matter how many times you strayed from the path, that he still urges you back, wants to celebrate you, wants to throw that party for you, it causes you to be filled with an ah, a reverential awe that makes you want to live a life of worship where you would want to wake up every day and say, God, I want to do what pleases you. God, I want to live a life that's a living sacrifice for you. God, I want, to, I want to honor you in the way I work. I want to honor you in the way I drive. I want to honor you in the way I love. I want to honor you in the way I serve. I want to honor you in the way I spend. I want to honor you. It's a reverential awe that produces a life of worship. That's really a flyover of this incredible topic that is the fear of the Lord. Then he says love. Loving people is also very important. What does it mean to love people? We can't do better than to turn to 1 Corinthians 13 to understand what it looks like to love as it looks like when it comes to our relationships. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. I'm convicted. Love keeps no record of being wronged. I'm convicted still. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. And love endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. Come on, who wouldn't say my life would be better if I had more of that in it? Who wouldn't say my marriage would be better if I had more of that in it? Who wouldn't say my career would be better if I had more of that spirit in it? But here's the catch. So we have these two things, the fear of God, and then we have this idea of loving people. But the two cannot be separated. The two are actually one. For Jesus summarized all that is required of us when in Matthew 22, he said this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is this fear of the Lord, this reverential all your soul, all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to this. The entire law and the demands of the prophets. So basically, all of Genesis, all the way to Malachi, and throw in J the B. You're like, that's Justin Bieber? No, that's John the Baptist. Throw in him as well. All of that can be summarized in these two commandments, in these two thoughts. Listen to me. Love is so monumentally important that when it is in place, every other thing in your life will fall into place. Love is so important that when it is in place, every other thing falls into place. Let me summarize the rest of my message for you. So if you hear nothing else I've heard, hear this. Little is much when God is in it, but much is little when God is not." not. Little is much when God is in it, and much becomes little when God is not. Love is so powerful that first point, jot this down. If you take these down, these are going to be quick aspects of this. Love is so powerful that where it is in place, there is a joy that has nothing to do with circumstances. There is a joy. Love releases a joy that has nothing to do with circumstances. Have you noticed that when you are unwell, you can find clouds even in the prettiest day? When someone's unwell on the inside, just unhealthy, not at a good place, their outlook is wrong, their attitude is wrong, you could think this on yourself. When something's wrong in here, you can find something wrong with the best of situations, with the best of people, with the brightest of days. And that's what the scripture said we began with. In verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil. So if your heart's not right towards God, and then towards people, well, every day you're going to find something evil in it. You're going to find something wrong with it. But listen, he who is of a merry heart, I love that. Don't you want for your heart to just be more merry? You're like, I've never had before, but now I do. If your heart is merry, what do you have? You have a continual feast. You got tater tots in your cargo pocket, Napoleon. Like you always have something to eat. You'll always find you're not going to walk around starving, um, oh, all hangry at everybody and hangry at everything. If you're afflicted, you'll find everything to be evil. But when your heart's merry, when your heart's full of love for God and love for people, you are tapped into joy. And you get to walk around even in the desert times, <laughs> even in the desert seasons. What do you have? A continual feast. There's always something to eat. There's always something to appreciate. And I I, I think of what Habakkuk chapter 3 says. He says, even on the days when when the trees or the figs aren't budding, when the vines aren't producing grapes, the olive crops not failing. This is a time, by the way, when it would be easy to think, man, I'm starving. There's nothing to eat. But even on those days, when the fields might, might not produce any food, there might not be any sheep in the pens. There might not be any cattle in the barns. But I will still be glad because of what the Lord has done. God, my Savior, fills me with joy. Fills me with joy. The message translation of our text, verse 15 says, a cheerful heart fills the day with song. A cheerful heart, look at this. Verse 15, one more time, a cheerful heart fills the day with song. But when you're miserable, everything becomes miserable. I I, I think a perfect picture of this, as far as it intersects with parenting, is in that epic Will Smith movie, A Pursuit of Happiness right, and it's based on a true story. I know it's a little bit of an oldie. Some of you might not have seen it, but it's worth a watch. Here's this dad. He's in a horrible situation. His wife left him, and just one bad thing after another bad thing after another bad thing, and he's living with his with his son in this homeless shelter, and he's having to fight to get this education so he can get another job, and, and everything just seems to go wrong despite his noblest efforts. And it actually gets so bad that one night they find themselves trying to sleep in the restroom of a public yeah the 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 bathroom of a a subway terminal in New York City. And in the middle of the night, he's just leaning against the door. And he's trying to hold it shut so they can get some sleep in there. And here's this little boy. And he just feels like a failure as a dad. But you just watch something in his heart shift. And all of a sudden, he transforms that bathroom into a cave. And he pretends that the people thumping on the door are dinosaurs trying to get in. And he uses his imagination and he uses this creativity to present a brighter picture. And his son, you just thought his son was staying at the Ritz-Carlton because he's with his dad. And I'm telling you, there was just a continual, as I watched that, I couldn't help but think of this verse. There's a continual feast for the heart that's merry. There's a continual feast. There's a joy that you can get in your heart when you have a love for God and a love for people. I'm just telling you, it can change everything as far as your perspective is concerned. So how do we get there? You have to disconnect how things are going from how you are doing. You gotta disconnect that. You've got to disconnect how things are going from how you're doing. When you drill down into something deeper, you are opened up to a life where God is always good and you can always show love to other people even through the worst possible situation. Come on, dads, that's our job to lead in our homes to where there's a continual feast because our hearts are merry and no matter what's going on, no matter how, there's always something to sing about. You're like, well, what if, what if we find ourselves in prison and what if it's midnight and what if we've been beaten and our backs are bleeding. Well, I don't know. Acts 16.25. How about you pray and you sing hymns to God like Paul and Silas did and the other prisoners were listening to them. Listening in the Greek speaks of listening with pleasure, meaning the prisoners wanted what Paul and Silas had. There is a life that God has for you to live that has nothing to do with circumstances, because your joy is tethered directly to God, and it funnels directly out into love for other people. It doesn't matter what's happening at work. It doesn't matter what's happening in relationships. It doesn't matter what's happening in the economy, because God is still. Good. That's, that's a good one. That's only one of four. You want to hear the rest? Secondly, jot this down. Where love is, there's a peace that can't be purchased. Where love is, there's a peace that can't be purchased. If you look back at verse 17, verse 17 talks about it being better to have dinner for your family of herbs. Now, you have to get this as facetious. It's not like, eat your paprika, Johnny, right? Eat your oregano, Sally. Like, that doesn't, that sounds great, right? No, no, actually, the word in the Hebrew is vegetables. So basically, in that day, you would only eat meat on special occasions, right? And so it's saying, like, the simple meal, the basic bare necessities. Better to have that meager uh, amount of food but have a home for your kids where love is than to be able to afford the finest things. And the fatted calf would be the most expensive. This is the filet mignon wrapped in bacon. But for your family to eat that, in an environment where there is hatred. It would be better to have only vegetables if there was a little love going around. Peace in a home cannot be overemphasized. I think as dads, we feel such pressure to provide for our families. I mean, really, it starts with diapers. I, I, it was a revelation for me how expensive diapers were. It was like that. It blew, blew my mind. And you think about you think about braces and you think about new shoes and you think about paying for college and you think about uh, the weddings, right I think about that a lot and um, <laughs> and it's just it's just never really it never really stops. Um, we had a kind of a crisis in our family, not my immediate family, my extended family, and it caused many of of my, my, my family to be flying unexpectedly last minute on a holiday across the country and being in a, in a situation where we weren't expecting it. And I, I told my dad, who was there with me, and we were in a hospital parking lot in the early morning hours, and I told my dad, I said, I said, you're such a good dad. Like, he dropped everything. Didn't matter what was happening, just dropped everything. Here he is, and, and he got there before any of us did. And, and, I just said, he, and he just said to me, he goes, hey, look, you never quit being a dad. You never quit being a dad. And I think that can weigh on us sometimes, the, 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 the necessity of providing for our family. And because of this keeping up with the Joneses American thing that we have going on in our culture, we can at times, we can, we can skew our perspectives, at feeling, and we can end up feeling like a failure because we don't provide the finest things or as fine of things as other people we know. And we can make that the goal. But what Solomon is saying is if you win at that, but you don't win at the most important things, you don't win at all. If you win at the fatted calf, and you win at at, at having the treasure, but it comes with trouble, and it comes with hatred, and that's what you're willing to pay for to get them, you'll get what you wanted, but find out it wasn't what you actually needed, is what he is saying. What I'm trying to say is this, what is spent on your family isn't nearly as important as the atmosphere that surrounds your family. What was spent on the home is nowhere near as valuable as the energy that's inside of your home, at, at what it feels like to be at the table around the, the dinner table inside the family. To have treasure and to have a fatted calf, but on the way to have it be toxic and full of strife, and unhealthy and unloving. It is not going to be what you wanted it to be. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1, says the same thing. It says, it'd be better to basically eat a dry crust of bread in peace than a house filled with feasting, but also conflict. And it's not the day-to-day fighting, because fighting is the price for relationships. It's only this constant, continual, uh, unloving, relational uh, way of of doing life. Here's the problem. It's easy to project happiness and to attach happiness to some some new level of of prosperity. It's easy to think, well, if we had that, then our problems will be over. But money without love doesn't bring peace. It just brings problems. Money without love doesn't bring peace. It just... Brings problems. Solomon in Ecclesiastes talks about when goods increase, so does it. Do those increase who want to eat them? Right. More mo money, more problems. Was how big he put it. Right. But the, the idea is you you cannot in your head say, "Well, I'll be happy if we had this. My family will be happy if we have that." That's a trap. The grass will always be greener where you water it. It's not on the other side of the fence when you have this because when you get this, the error, the target will just Move. Get the love right, though. Get the love right, though, and you'll be safe to bless with more. Get the love right for God and for people. Put those things in first. Get those things done right. And God can then incrementally bless you. And if he does, you'll be able to handle it. Otherwise, you have this great big old house, but guess what? No, one, no one's there to be inside it because no one wants to be inside it. Your, your kids don't need more of more, they need more of you. So if it takes less of you to get more of more, you, then your, your kids don't have the love to, to provide the safe context for the more, right? So we have to get first things in place first. Because of course, the text is not saying it's wrong to have the fatted calf. And it's wrong to have the treasure. It's just saying, if you have the treasure and the calf without the love and the fear of God, it will turn to dust and to ash in your mouth. And you will not find any satisfaction in it ultimately. So how do we get the love right? How do we get these first things first right? Well, we, get, we do this. We don't just provide for our families. We be pr- present to our families. We don't just provide for our families. We be present to our families for provision materially cannot eclipse presence spiritually and emotionally. Let me say it again. Provision for your family spiritually. Well, the bills are paid. Well, you have this nice house to live in. Well, I pay your car. I pay. We can turn that way as dads. We can turn that way as moms, right? I'm not pointing to me as moms, saying we as parents can do that. We, we can, well, you know, isn't it enough that you get these meals and your bills, your college tuition? But we can turn into these ogres where we're almost resenting them for not enjoying what we are paying for them when we're not being present to them, which is far more important. We have to be present to them spiritually and emotionally. I wrote just a couple thoughts down that are high on the priority list of of, in my heart as a dad. I want to, we need to be better at giving our kids attention, attention to be interested in what they're interested in to be interested in what they're interested in and not just impose our interests upon them. That's so easy to do. It's a trap, though. We need to affirm them. We need to see our role as the ones who are meant to affirm who they are, uh, to affirm their God-given callings, to affirm the, their worth and their value and their preciousness, and, and to, to affirm them, to speak life over them. And uh, our, our job is to direct them. I read the book of Proverbs this week in two sittings, and I underlined every time the word instruct was used in context with a parent. And it was almost every single time. Wow. Instruct your son. Instruct your daughter. Instruct your son. Instruct your daughter. Instruct them. We've got to instruct our kids at everything in life. They need a, if we don't speak into the major issues of life, where are they going to get the information? They'll get it somewhere. Nature abhors a vacuum. The devil will instruct your kids if you don't take your God-given responsibility to do so. We need to instruct our kids. Part of that is is in how we teach them, how we warn them, how we encourage them, how we give them opportunities to make mistakes as well. Uh, Celebration, that we celebrate their effort. We celebrate them. We don't just discipline them when they've done wrong. We celebrate them when they've done wrong. Right, and then, of course, correction that we're willing to correct our kids, that we're willing to teach them, I love you so much, I can't let you get away with this. Because if that continued in your life, it would lead to bigger consequences, bigger consequences. Prisons, I think, sometimes, not entirely, but are filled with people who did not learn the lessons of morals, did not learn the difference between right and wrong. We are not loving our kids to give them unrestricted opportunities to make mistakes without any consequence. swoop in and fix everything and, 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 and right every wrong in their lives for them. We are doing them no service at all. If they don't at times, hey, that's what happened. And, and that's what, what, what this brought into your life. We need to correct them. So as God does trust you with more, what do you do with the more? What do you do with the more that God has blessed you with? Here's what we do. We ramp up the generosity. We ramp up the generosity. That's how we keep The more that God blesses us with from turning down the love, we turn up the generosity. Why? Love always gives. Love always gives. Listen, you can give without loving. You can't love without giving. Love always gives. So if you turn up giving, you turn up the grace, you turn up the generosity in your life as God blesses you with more, it will allow you to have the treasure, it will allow you to have the fatted calf without it turning down the love and diminishing your fear for God. Someone in our church, I I was flipping through Instagram and I happened to see they had at their dinner table a little plaque, and, and the plaque at the dinner table said, when you have more than you need, build a bigger table, not a higher fence. I thought that was pretty insightful. That would be our response to having more, that God blesses us, and our response is to pivot through generosity. I think that's the way we keep the love from diminishing. There's a third. Got this down. Where love is, there is a power worth fighting for. There's a power worth fighting for. And that power is example, example to them. Listen, your job is to instruct your kids. My job is to instruct my children. But don't just give instructions, be the instructions. Don't just give the instructions, be the instructions. You and I can all fall into this trap where we say, do as I say, not as I do. But if we're not living out the things that we're hoping to instill in them. I was flying next to a woman on an airplane a while back. And she said, when she found out I was a pastor, she said, you know, I grew up in church. I don't believe in God now. But I love the, the world view it gave me to grow up in a Christian home and to go to church every Sunday. And while I don't want any part of it for me now, I want my kids to have that. So I try and take them to church every Sunday, but they never want to go. Why do you think that is? And I was like, girl, this flight's not long enough for me to straighten the problems out in your head. But the obvious answer is our children, when we're young, they listen to what we say. But when they are older, they will do as they have seen us do. And I think that we have to lean into the power of the example, that we set the pace not with our words, not just with what we discipline and what we reward, but what we live out. Look at what Proverbs says in another spot about the power of example. It says, the righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Worship team, come on up here. Help me shut this down. Listen, listen, listen. There's something that will ring out from your life sequentially when you live in such a way where you are walking in the fear of the Lord and you are living a life of love that flows out. And that means, especially when you've blown it, that you call yourself on what you've done, that you tell your family, look, I'm not perfect. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have watched that. You saw this. You saw Daddy speak to Mommy that way. That was wrong. And I'm sorry. And I'm going to ask God for forgiveness. I'm going to ask your mom for forgiveness. And I shouldn't have done that. I think sometimes we're afraid that we forfeited the microphone that God wants for us to have because we've blown it. And maybe the divorce, maybe this happened, and maybe that happened, and maybe it's not like it should be. But the power of the gospel, if it means anything, it's that even in the midst of circumstances that are anything but ideal. We can lean into the grace of God and believe God for a new beginning. And we can trust Him that the example in our children and in our children's children and our children's children's children is in our example, especially in response to our failures. And that is worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for every time the first day of the week rolls around again. And it's a chance to gather together with God's people and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And to be able to say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And we're not going to let anything else eclipse or outshine our love for God. We as a family, we're going to serve God. It's, it's a chance every time you get paid to take that test. And that is, who are you going to pay the first? Because that's who you honor the most. Every time God blesses us, the chance is to respond to him by giving him the first and the best. It's a chance we have every time a new day begins to f- let our kids find us in God's word, reading some scripture. What are you doing? Well, I don't want to go out into the world. I don't even want to face the family without first God touching my heart and Him speaking life to me and Him changing me. I love that that, that by God's grace, when I'm, when I'm gone, when my kids think back, they're going to think back to dad early in the morning reading scripture. I know they're going to think back to early in the morning, them catching their mom reading scripture and hiding God's word in our hearts. What we're doing is we're setting them up to live. And here's the last point. Where love is, there is a hope that can't be overcome. So in our example, we're not just teaching them how to live. We're teaching them how to die, die with hope, to die with a hope that not even the grave can overcome. And that can only come from Jesus, because listen to me carefully, only Jesus can death-proof your life. Only Jesus can death-proof your home. So as God would, would, would have it, we'll, we'll fight hard. We'll work hard to make sure we have some money in that savings account for their college tuition. We're saving up for, for that wedding day for them. And we want to provide for them. We want to give them the moon because we, we love them so. I'd eat you up. I love you so. That's how we feel as dads. That's how we feel as parents. But, but above all things, let's not just have a plan for their life. Let's have a plan for them to see us again in the afterlife. Let's have a plan for not just 10 years from now and 100 years from now, but for 10,000 years from now that we can know, we can tell them, and we, 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 we can live it out that, that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Jesus has forgiven my sins. And this life is not all that there is. There is a hereafter and our hope shall not be cut off and death can't separate us from each other if the blood of Jesus Christ has saved us. Then Jesus speaks a better word over our lives and we can look forward to life in heaven, to life in paradise. Come on, lift up your voice for a second and celebrate. If you believe that Jesus Christ has died and risen again and is Lord of our homes. Bow your heads with me, bow your eyes, bow your heads with me, close your eyes. All of us praying, we just wanna take a second. And if anybody here has not given their heart to Christ, if you're with us and you've never trusted Jesus for salvation, this is your chance, this is your time, this is your moment. At every location, God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you when you were dead in sin so you could come to life spiritually. It's not being religious, it's not reading the Bible that saves you, it's trusting Christ yourself. So I wanna pray a prayer. And if you've never given your heart to Christ or you grew up maybe religious, but, but you would just say, I'm not at a place where I'm walking with Jesus. I want you to pray this prayer out loud after me. I'm going to ask the church family to pray with us. This is your way of declaring, I'm giving my heart to Christ. It's the best thing you can do for your kids. It's the best thing you can do for your marriage. It's the best thing you can do for your life It's to trust Jesus. First things first. Maybe it's gonna be a long road to reconciliation. Maybe it's gonna be very complicated and the courts are gonna be involved, but, but let's just nail this down. And then all these other things can be added into us. Pray this prayer, pray it with me if you need to give your heart to Jesus. Dear God, I give my heart to you. I believe Jesus died for me. I don't know how, but I believe you love me. Save me, give me life. Fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Still praying, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here and you prayed that prayer, giving your heart to Christ or rededicating your life to Jesus, I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, I want you just to raise your hand up in the air, just to shoot it up in the air, your way of saying, I'm really nailing this down. I've I've prayed this prayer. I've meant it. I'm going to walk out of here a different person because of Jesus. When I get to three, shoot your hand up in the air, every location, one two, three, shoot your hands up, shoot your hands up, shoot
1: your hands up. What an incredible message. Thank you so much for tuning into this teaching with Fresh Life Church. We're so glad that you did. If while watching this message you felt led, to follow Jesus, we're so happy for you. And we'd love for you to click the Know God tab at freshlife.church. And there you can watch a quick video and learn just what this relationship with God can look like. We'd also love to send you some resources. So if you click that tab and let us know, we'll get those in your hands. In addition to that, if Fresh Life Church has impacted you in any way, um, if God's doing great things in your life through this ministry, we would love to hear about that. So please click the Share Your Story tab Um, at freshlife.church and fill out the form that's there and just tell us how God's moving, what God's doing. The lifeblood of our church is founded on these stories that we receive. Our church family and our church staff are just all so encouraged um, by what God's doing in your life. So do let us know. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can click on the Give tab. It'll launch a safe and secure giving site where you can set up a one-time or reoccurring gift to help continue supporting this ministry of um, finding those who are stranded in sin and helping them to find life and liberty in Jesus Christ. That's just why we're here and that's why we do what we do. So thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.